on this episode of Risky Business. Why do we need to be compliant with a particular topic? What is the topic? Why do we need to be compliant? What is the value that it brings by being compliant? What is the, the risk of it brings if we're not compliant? And then making it straightforward and simple and easy for people to attain and encouraging people to do it and making them feel that they've done something that's valuable and good for the organization and for themselves by completing it. I'm Steve Muddyman, and this is Risky Business, a show from GAN Integrity covering the wide range of issues in compliance and ethics, but with one goal in mind, empowering your people to do the right thing. Do your people truly know the importance of compliance? Believe it or not, HR plays a huge role in that communication. This episode is slightly different from what you've heard before. Jane Broberg is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Basware, a SaaS company with a mission to empower global trade through data-driven insight. And in our conversation, we dive into the balance we can achieve in our work culture by providing flexibility to our employees in a responsible and safe way. As you listen, think about how you're helping your people understand the importance of compliance and why it's about way more than sticking to the rules. I've been with Basware for 11 years now, and I'm the CHRO for the organization. So my main responsibility, accountability, is to lead the HR function globally. But I do have some additional responsibilities where I facilitate the the strategy process and development for the company. I also responsible for internal communication and also most recently added to my uh, remit is the ESG uh, agenda. So uh, looking into that at the moment. That sounds interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. Just for the benefit of our listeners, so can you just talk about the dynamics of the business, talk about who Bazway is, what they do and and maybe a little bit of insight in terms of the types of customers that you have and, and where those customers may may be. Basra are a best of breed global provider for networked accounts payable automation and also we're a market leader in cloud-based procure pay solutions, procure to pay solutions. We have a multinational customer base which span across multiple industries. Clearly our solutions are not industry specific, but we do have some specialist focus areas in certain geographies such as automotive and public sector where we've built up quite a good uh, client base there. Organisationally, we are based in 14 countries, mainly in Europe, but we also have some presence in North America, Asia Pacific and India. We've got approximately 1,400 employees and our resources span a mix of sales and you know, marketing, delivery focused roles and then products R&D and production and then of course the enabling functions of which I'm part of. So, so when you talked about all of those employees, I think you said 1,400? Yeah, approximately. That suggests you're in all sorts of quite diverse geographies around the world. Would that be fair? Yes. So what types of uh, markets would they be in? Where do you operate within? So we're based in Central Europe. We're actually a Finnish-based organization. That's our roots. That's where we grew up, so to speak. So we have... A lot of our enabling functions and R&D in production are, are based in Finland. And then we have the Scandinavian countries, France, Belgium, 
Germany, UK, Netherlands, and then we're in Romania and India, so shared services and general sort of operational support, and then North America and Australia. So that's the mix of where we're based. So very broadly spread, right? Correct. So when I asked you to introduce yourself, you talked about a number of things that you do, specifically in your role of the CHRO. How would you describe your objectives so people listening to this can actually get a sense of the things that you are most concerned about every day? We're all about enabling the the business results, delivering against the strategies. The things that keep me awake at night are ensuring that we have a robust and professional approach to acquiring great people, developing and retaining them. And it's all about bringing in the right people, not just the hiring anybody. And, and ultimately, I guess the one goal that I think is ultimately important is employee engagement. Once we've got our great 1,400 odd uh, employees working for us, my objective is to ensure that they feel totally engaged and immersed into the organisation to, to such an extent that they're enabled to perform really well and they feel happy and enjoy being part of the the Baswarian family. Very interesting. I think that point about engagement is one I'd like to take a little bit further if, if we can. For individuals across some quite diverse markets that you described earlier, to get them and maintain a level of engagement must be particularly difficult. What's the fabric that holds all of this together that actually empowers individuals in some way to actually feel that they can be engaged and want to stay engaged because that word is quite a a powerful word everybody will determine their level or degree in which they want to be engaged how how, how do you foster an environment that keeps that going that's a really important point and culture is something that that evolves naturally within an organization and the culture develops through the behavior that you see demonstrated by your employees. But clearly, you have a, a clear vision for what you your aspirational culture should be within the organization to bring the best out of your employees and to stand out from the crowd when it comes to talent acquisition but, and also be able to be a great organization to engage with your customers. And some of the things that I think represent the Basware culture, which I personally value and I'm quite proud of, is that we have a culture of respect, I think, trust. We work very hard to ensure people feel empowered and above all, one of collaboration. And this, I think, is really evident when we see the behavior of the Baswarians. And we try to measure that on an ongoing basis to see where, how is the culture evolving? How are people feeling today? What do they see as the Basware culture? And the things that I've just cited are very much the things that, that come out when we ask employees to give their voice as to how they, they see Basware as an organisation. I'm guessing this can't be a one-person crusade. This is something that as a member of the executive team that you are, I assume have to engage the leadership team in, in, in this as well when clearly you're driving a commercially geared organization. How do you go about engaging the management team in this so this becomes perhaps part of their natural DNA in what they do every day? I think we see that the management have to demonstrate and lead by example. That's something that we think is fundamentally important. We do a lot of work around enabling our managers to engage the employees. We constantly encourage them to have 
continuous conversations throughout the year with individuals so that they understand not just what they're doing, whether they're delivering against the goals that are set out for them and the targets that we're trying to achieve, but also how they're doing and focus on the individual's growth, their personal development, uh, their career development. And what's become more and more apparent actually in the last couple of years is their well-being. We do a lot of work around providing as much insight and tools, process to, to help the managers to keep the best engaged in that respect. That's interesting because you said earlier about well-being is becoming increasingly more important in the context of ensuring that the right culture is, is in place for people to hopefully stay engaged. One of the things that I'm sure many of our listeners will have a very clear, perhaps first-hand experience of this real issue associated with a competitive market for talent. And it's a dogfight out there right now to, to try to find good talent when, so, when there's clearly a shortage of employees or prospective employees available to, to join in the right roles in the right parts of our business around the world, especially in a global business like yourself. What are you seeing in terms of what are you hearing from prospective employees in terms of their levels of, let's call it demands or, or the things that have to be in place for them to consider wanting to join a business like your own or indeed from your peer network? What is that level, if you will, that's perhaps gone up in terms of the expectations of the type of company an employee now wants to work for? course the fundamentals need to be there which I think probably have always been in place employees need to see that they've got an interesting opportunity in the role that they take that there's potential growth path for them the ability for them to grow as a person as well as it with it within their career and that Bazware as an organization can professionally support them through that journey and in a way that they're well supported well looked after and they have fun along in doing so so of course all of those things most companies strive to achieve achieve and um, we're no exception there and put a lot of effort into that. But I think now flexibility is something that we see now really surfacing. You, you know, people want to have the option to be able to think about their work-life balance, to be able to have some autonomy to do their job in the way that suits them well to fit their lifestyle, provide a good work-life balance. So I think that's the thing that has changed. In the software industry, I think flexible working has been there for, for many years. And we have enabled flexible working, certainly for as long as I've been with the company. But now organizations are being encouraged to really think about what does that flexibility look like? Do we have a clear, consistent, robust model that will enable the culture, will enable the, the business performance, but also provide the, the flexibility that employees are looking for. So I think that has become the challenge that we've been presented with and what we see has changed with what the pandemic has brought to us in the last two years. In many ways, there are a number of pretty obvious elements to the way in which an individual would assess if that's the employer for me, because those things are evident, they're physical things or they're, they're contractual terms that perhaps you can put to the test when joining a company to see how a prospective employer responds to that. But a number of things that you said just there and, and earlier are, are softer elements, which perhaps you don't always get to feel how perhaps an individual is 
respected when you talk to your your point about cultural values or indeed the ability for an individual to genuinely become engaged in multiple aspects of the way in which the company goes about its daily business or indeed the future of the way in which the companies run. And they're all things that you've mentioned here. How do you get that message across? Because in reality, you can only feel that once you're in the business, can't you? How to communicate that kind of softer benefits, if indeed I can call them that, to an individual which is assessing you as well as perhaps one or two other firms that they may choose to join? It's like anything when you're looking to buy something or you're looking to enter into a contractual arrangement then you're looking for multiple things. The things I mentioned earlier about the career opportunity development, of course, you have to be able to articulate well and clearly. I think additionally to that, what people are looking for now is how am I going to be able to do my job and will that bring me what I'm looking for? The choice that we we were presented with before to contribute to our offering, our employer value proposition, is what will our working approach be? And of course, we could take the choice that we would say, okay, we're going to cut all of our offices and we're going to continue to have our whole 1,400 Buzzwarians home working, which of course we achieved during the, the pandemic and had to like everybody else. Or are we going to say, let's go back to how we used to work? And in some of our offices, like in India and Romania, it was much more common that they would be working from the office most of the time with limited flexibility, and that constitutes approximately 50% of our workforce. Or we could say we're going to now formally look at a consistent hybrid working approach, and that's exactly what we did and have now implemented. So to add to our employer value proposition, we can now say to employees, prospective employees, that this is who Basware is. This is our culture. This is the role. This is the career path and personal development path that you could have in your future. And the way we're going to support you in doing your job is by giving you the opportunity to choose how do you want to work. Now, you could, if you want to work five days a week in the office, Absolutely great. We're more than happy to to accommodate that. But actually what we chose, which was really important to us, is a model that strikes the balance between keeping our great culture. As I mentioned, collaboration is and, and trust is are really important to us as an organization. And the way you maintain that is by keeping people together, we believe. So we want to have the flexibility to have people working remotely up to three days a week is our guideline if that's what they want, anything between one and three days, but we want them to come into the office and we want them to be in the office so that we can continue to capture the hearts and minds of people. And again, that's quite soft, but I think what many people have seen through the pandemic is through having people 100% working remotely is that the great resignation started when companies started to rehire. One of the reasons why people were encouraged to move away from their company, I believe, is because they've disengaged a bit with the heart. They've not been into the office. They've not had collaboration with their peers. They've not gone out for a drink after work or had a coffee and cake with somebody, which has led them to, it's a much easier decision for them to think that they can move on and work somewhere else. So what we want is to people to really belong to the organization, really feel passionate about working for us. So introducing this hybrid flexible working model is something that is critical in addition to all the other general things to have in your employer value proposition 
to keep up with the way the market is moving today. There are organisations that have chosen to go 100% remote. I think that potentially we may lose some people over time who feel that's what they want to do. We do and we'll consider exceptions. And we have got exceptions where people are 100% home-based. That's absolutely necessary. And we will consider that. But it's not the rule. If somebody wants it to be the rule, then of course, maybe they decide for now, Baswell is not the company for them to work for. But I personally believe that in the next five years or so, some organisations that have chosen to be completely remote will bring the pendulum back to the middle and want to start re-engaging with their employees because I think you lose a lot if you're 100% remote working. That's what we've done differently to add to our employer value proposition to make us and keep us an attractive prospective employer. Very interesting. And, and your point there that you made earlier when you talk about the well-being of individuals in and around the workforce, when you have this hybrid working model that you just talked to there, keeping in touch with individuals and people's well-being must be much more difficult when they have that flexibility of work pattern where we all travel when we're allowed to be able to travel so the chances of being able to see people consistently when they choose to be in the office or when they're working away from the office and vice versa that must be very difficult for you to keep that sense check if you like on on the well-being of individuals which then leads me to a point which I'd love to hear your views on as to to how do individuals make themselves heard in that regard how are they able to engage with you with their managers and the environment that leaders have perhaps to provide to ensure that they've still got that finger on the pulse of their employees. When you've got a team of four or five people, maybe that's relatively easy to keep track of. But when you've got a team of, I don't know, 25, 50, maybe 100 people, then clearly that's a, a bigger challenge. Yeah, and a number of things there is first and foremost, it's good to have the right sort of construct, organizational construct, so that you have the right ratio of, of people to, to managers. We try not to build too big a teams. We want that personal contact and interaction. As I mentioned earlier, we, we're very focused on continuous conversations. We've introduced the concept during the pandemic of the quarterly growth conversation, which we encourage managers to have with all of their employees. Take a regular one-to-one ensuring that one-to-one that you're having a, a touch base with the person, not the employee, but the person, how you do talking about their growth and, you know, their development. And is there anything that they can be doing uh, to support them more or develop them more, but also how are you coping? Is this approach, and especially during the pandemic, when you're at home all the time, are you managing well and supporting maybe some personal requirements that were necessary during that time, families with small children, for example? So that's one thing that we, we've really introduced. But also we provide in every country occupational health and additional health support. So we have employee assistance programs, for example. So if people are particularly struggling, then we do provide that offering to individuals. We have a very, I would say, trusted, open and supportive HR team locally. So people can always go to their HR colleagues if they feel that they want to talk to somebody independently of their manager. We run an employee engagement survey on an annual basis, which we call Your Voice, and we encourage all employees to anonymously provide their feedback. We get some great results from that. Actually, for the last two years, we've had 93% 
plus response rate, which is as good as it gets because the remaining percent are typically those that are absent uh, on on long-term leave, for example. That in itself shows people feel engaged, feel confident to speak out and to have their view. And then we measure a number of factors, including the culture and including well-being, and both of which score as two of the top factors with above sort of 80% feedback from our employees and three, three and a half to 4,000 open comments during the survey as well. We as an executive team commit to read through every single comment, which we do, and then we work together to build and look at the areas for improvement and build action plans every every step of the organisation, a group level action plan, functional level, country level, team level, so that we really try to address the challenges of what people are saying. So what we've been trying very much to achieve is building a, a culture of psychological safety so people can really feel that it's okay to speak out. It's okay. They have multiple channels and avenues to share their voice. I think, as I mentioned with our Your Voice survey, the response rate would indicate people feel they can do that. We get some very open, positive comments. We also get some quite open comments that that are cause for concern that we need to address. And then, of course, we have the other channel, which if, if all of that doesn't support the individual, which traditionally has been known as whistleblower, where people can, in confidence, reach out in that direction as well. So we try to address it from different angles. There's a lot there. That point about your voice is very powerful, isn't it? To have a 93% uptake from an organization as diverse as you are with 1,400 employees around the world with multiple cultures in which they live, let alone the fabric that you're trying to create within Basware to allow individuals to speak their mind and, and feel that they can speak their mind without fear of you know recrimination in some form or way. Is a very powerful environment that you've created there. It sort of leads me to, to another point I wanted to talk about, which is we talk about this idea of people, businesses, just doing the right thing and how that can affect the moral standing of how a company operates and presents itself to its external markets, to let's talk the word stakeholders and stakeholders come in all forms, customers, partners, employees, investors. What, what does doing the right thing mean for a business like Basware. It's a really interesting point, actually, and I've, I've thought a lot about this. In particular, we implemented the hybrid working model. What, one of the things that sits behind the, having this formal implementation of the way you work is how you do it and what you're, in, you're enabling and providing for the organisation and the employees to get the right strike, the balance that we were looking for. But the other is ensuring that you're protecting and you're keeping your employees safe, that you're able to do that in in such a way that you have the right legal requirements in place and the insurance it covers and all those kind of things. And that is what I referred to during the model as the paperwork, the necessary paperwork we have to do. And the reason we do it is to ensure that we're acting as a responsible employer, that we're taking care of the health and safety of the employees, whilst ensuring that we're fully compliant as an organisation to be able to do that. So it is necessary that individuals have gone through and read 
if I want to take a flexible working option and I want to be working remotely, that I have acknowledged that I'm working in a safe environment to do so. And in some countries, there's a legal requirement for a risk assessment to be completed, for example. All of that is absolutely necessary for us to be able to a, feel confident we're asking employees to work or allowing employees to work remotely if they've requested it and, and knowing that they have acknowledged that they feel safe and B, if something does go wrong, that we are legally compliant and able to support them with any insurance support, for example. So there's a balance there because when you're implementing something like this, it's very easy. One, one of the questions I got confronted with from the management when I first shared the model with them is this too much process and too much, too heavy. And do we have to share that with the employees? Do they really have to go into our HR system and acknowledge that they've read the policy? And the answer to that is yes, they do. They do because we need to be sure that we're doing the right thing. We need to be sure that we're compliant and that we're acting responsibly. And that comes with this edge that feels a little bit too formal. And is Baz, we're only doing this so that they can cover their back. We'll actually know that we're not only doing it so that we can cover our back. We're doing it so that we can strike the balance between what we can achieve in our culture, the work-life balance and the flexibility for employees and doing it in a, a responsible and safe way. So that what comes with that is this compliance word. And so I thought a lot about that and how to position it in such a way that was gave the balance of all the things that need to be in place to have a successful model. And I tried to bring a little soft edge to it and a little humor to it uh, to say that, okay, but all of this comes with, with a requirement to fill out some paperwork. So people understood I hope that this was the balance that we were trying to achieve as an organization. And that's just taking one example of where compliance is, is necessary. There's a lot in there, Jane, that you know we could unpack now, just specifically on, on that point with regard to the management's response to this feels heavy and a lot of process. What you're effectively doing, I think, is setting the boundaries as to what defines the kinds of things that doing the right thing really means and stands for this business and then letting individuals operate within those boundaries. Yeah. If you take that beyond where you talk about, for example, the code of conduct that you expect within the organization and the necessary topics that we as employees need to be educated on, that's not just coming from Bazware's need to, you know, to ensure employees understand policies. It's coming from the external environment. It's coming from what our customers are asking for. And the ever-developing world of the ESG agenda and what customers, the ethical side of what customers look for as well. They want to know that they're engaging with a responsible employer who who are not supporting modern slavery, for example. And this now becomes almost a daily request coming from our existing customers and coming from our prospective customers. It's very typical in an RFP for a new customer now that we will be asked multiple ethics, environmental related questions. They want to know, are we the sort of supplier they want to work with? There are multiple stakeholders in, in, engaged in all of this. And that's what we try to convey also to, to Baswarians. And we run through annual e-learning 
educational modules to ensure that we're keeping Baswarians up to date with some of the most topical issues that we need them to understand, be aware of and support for us to do ethical business with our customers. You mentioned a term earlier, whistleblowing. Let's just go back to that for a moment. I speak to quite a lot of businesses around the world and the term whistleblowing has mixed connotations and sometimes negative connotations associated with it and especially past events can sometimes be associated with that kind of language. And how can companies make this a part of every day where it's not the term whistleblowing isn't the term that's being used to engender this idea or this notion of allowing individuals to freely speak up without fear of recrimination. How, how do we get to that without using terms like whistleblowing and other perhaps somewhat quite strong terms like that to, to engender that kind of philosophy? I think it goes back to what I said earlier, really, about the psychological safety. So if that's the type of culture that you are developing in the organization where people feel psychologically safe, they feel that they can speak out without any repercussion. They know that they can go to trusted individuals in the organization and say openly what's concerning them. Then there becomes little need to have such a thing as whistleblowing. And I think in, in the years that I've been in the CRO role, which is about six years, I've had very limited concerns raised from individuals in the organization. So we, I, I could count on one hand, how many times I've received or we have received any concern raised, which is, I would hope, a good indication that people aren't being exposed to challenges that they feel that's the only route that they can go through. However, the fact that we have had any means that there is a need to provide some kind of forum for individuals to raise anonymously if they feel that they really can't go anywhere else. But I think the answer to it is to try and, and build this culture where people feel that they don't need to raise a challenge anonymously, that they can go to somebody that they trust. The world itself, whistleblowing, of course, as you say, is it has got some negative connotations to it. So I think it's all about how you communicate things. And that's one of the areas that I focus a lot on in my role is how to set the context, how to explain clearly to people what a situation is, why we have the situation and what they need to do in that event. And I think if you've explained something to people very well, then then they do understand it and then they feel less negative about a, a topic and they know how to address it. That maybe is something that could be considered in using the term whistleblowing is just explaining clearly why it's there. I've heard many talk about the importance of training and reinforcing that through the organization. It's not like a one-off, as I believe I keep hearing, where this is constant need for, for education and training and refreshing people's minds around why these kinds of, I'm going to use the word tools, it's not really a tool, but a mechanism to allow people to not just subscribe to the annual survey, which of course clearly performs extremely well. People feel that they can speak out, as you say, w without that fear surrounding them. But of course, as you said, on one hand, you could view less cases as being a, a good thing, but you could also view do less cases also mean that people perhaps don't feel 
comfortable that they could do that for one reason or another. So there's the inverse of that could also be true. I think it comes back to the education, doesn't it, at all levels within the business. And I suspect the answer clearly to the next point I guess I was going to make is I want to assume this figures highly on the dashboard of the things that the executive team and perhaps the board worry about or or are concerned with making sure they have a, a pretty clear view of what's happening in the business too. Yes, I think that is true. I think it is important to to educate people on the rights and and wrongs. I think people don't always fully understand the implication of their behavior sometimes, and that can lead to offending individuals. And of course, we, we, like every other organization, do embark upon this education process to ensure that individuals understand what's expected of them and the do's and the don'ts of, of being in a professional working environment. So of course, that should feature and should help people to eliminate the behaviors that are, are, are or maybe seen as offensive. But of course, there there, there can always be an, a, a time when something genuinely happens and people don't know how to to deal with it. Feel that they have to have a channel for which they can they can report something. On that point, I, I think some of our listeners will know, or at least have heard of, the Im- impending introduction of a, an EU whistleblower directive. It's something that's well publicized in the realms of the world of compliance, corporate governance, and the like. Uh, and of course, the 27 member states will be encouraged to determine their own legislation within the EU. As a European headquartered company, is this something that you, you feel you have to take any additional or, or pay any particular attention to, given everything that you've described, Jane, that you're already doing as a business? Not any sort of dramatic change at this point in time, but we approach, we will approach it in the same way as we do with any directive or any legislation change. We are structured with a legal team. We have representation in each of our regions or countries that are accountable for ensuring that we are compliant with legislation. As things develop in each country, then we will be on top of that and we will be taking action accordingly. If that becomes a directive that comes from the EU, what we always try to do as an organisation is where there's any harmonisation to approach things in, in a common way, then we always try to do that. We'll develop a global approach And then we'll take into account the local legislative requirements if they are different by country. We develop policy wherever we need to ensure that the the right behaviours are being followed. And then we look at the best way to implement it from a process tooling perspective. I I guess we have to wait and see how things develop, but that's the approach that, that we would take. That's interesting. And it leads me on to another point, the term whistleblowing and the wider risk management issues that that you touched on some of those in terms of how your customers view what you do as a business before they're willing to engage with you and also what you look for in your supply chain starts to look at the wider aspects of risk in its broader context and all of those issues determine certain boundaries that we touched on earlier which set a frame for the way in which the business operates and, and what is considered doing the right thing. But often whistleblowing programs and those broader aspects I've talked about often can be owned, if you will, in in organizations by, by a compliance team or an individual that, that is concerned 
more broadly with the issues of compliance. And often these things can be mandated by auditors, especially publicly listed companies where an auditor is in place as well. What's interesting, I think, here is when I'm speaking to you as the chief HR officer, and we talk about corporate counsel and, and compliance, which is you know quite a different part of the business. It seems to me that this whole conversation that we've had is quite an exciting combination of how what you're concerned about and what corporate counsel or legal counsel or compliance are concerned about is about this collaborative nature of the way in which you're going to put in place just enough process perhaps or just enough framework to allow the business to thrive and grow and become energized in in such a way that you're setting the boundaries together if you like to allow the business to flourish and, and, and to then achieve good things both in terms of growth value to shareholders and various other stakeholders we touched on but also to prospective and existing employees is that a, a collaboration that you think is something that other businesses perhaps should look at more, more closely or is it do you see this you know in evidence when you speak with your peer group outside of Baswell? you know one of our cornerstones of our culture is collaboration. So for me, it's fundamentally important to always get the right stakeholders involved in any topic, any subject to bring the best solution possible. And in this particular case, as we talk about whistleblowing, then I think there it can be owned, as you say, in one corner or the other. And, and being candid, I've had those conversations within the organization. Oh, no, it's not us. Oh, no, it's not us. And we're a relatively small organization, 1,400 employees. You know, what I always, always say to people, well, okay, in the event that we don't have a team that is made accountable for a topic, then it's cross-organizational collaboration. We bring a team of people together that have a contribution to make and collectively that team will deliver on the solution. And we have many examples in Basware how that works really well. And eventually, as we grow up, as we mature as an organization, as we develop in particular areas, it's not been unusual that we then create a role and somebody comes in and owns that. But we started it by a collaborative cross-team of people. And whistleblowing has been one of those examples where today we work in collaboration with the council and we develop and we, we support it together. And the reason that isn't necessary and works well is that there can be something raised through the channel, which is an employee-related issue, which clearly then is an HR challenge and, and needs, to be, needs to be managed through that way. It could be an external matter, which then needs to be handled by the legal team. So it, it depends. And then there'll be times when it's an employee matter may unfortunately lead to some legal knowledge so that again we would work together in, in that so I'm all for collaboration I would definitely encourage organizations to collaborate together I think it's very common where you see silos and people working on their own topic in their own way feeling great about what they're doing delivering some great results that they've set out for themselves but actually it's not communicated across the organization and brings a problem elsewhere or the point when it then needs to tip into another part of the organization, it falls over. And you know that shouldn't happen. We should be working as one, one Basware. 
And that's one of the things that we strive for is working as one buzzword. It's easier said than done. It's human nature, I think, for people to focus on their own area and and not always think about all the stakeholders around them that need to be involved or informed. And that's something that I think is needs to change and people need to learn to work together. Throughout this conversation, it certainly feels to me that, that collaborative nature of the way in which the company works is particularly evident. You clearly wouldn't be able to create the culture or the environment, those boundaries we described earlier, if you didn't have the participation of multiple parts of the business all pulling in the same direction, it seems to me. Just one final point then before we close. You mentioned the term compliance a couple of times throughout. As somebody who probably has the temperature of the workforce and the employee base, is compliance a term that's really understood in the workforce? Is it seen as valuable, helpful? Should we simplify it? Is there a better term that perhaps could be used that Perhaps individuals could see genuine benefit from that. What's your take on how that terminology resonates across the business? I think using the word sort of compliance in isolation and driving compliance initiatives independently without it being set into a context of why and why it's important and what it brings and what value it brings to the organization and actually even to individuals, I think positioned in the wrong way can completely destroy employee sort of trust in a way. If they feel that that they're having to go through a whole load of process for a reason that they don't really understand, then I think that is definitely damaging. And I have heard of some what I would call horror stories of how some organisations choose to do it. So first of all, the context is not fully set. It's not fully explained what it is and why people need to do it and what benefit and value it brings. Secondly, they're asked to go through some very long, detailed readings of policies and e-learning modules that, that take a long, very long time. And then at the end of it, it, they're told if they don't get 100%, then they'll have their email cut off or something along those lines. So it's a very strict approach to it and people don't fully understand. And then they feel they are just being dictated to as an employee and they don't really understand why they're doing it. And they feel afraid of failing and they know that the the outcome is there quite severe and will disable them from being able to do their job. So for me, that would be the role model of how not to do it. How to do it is to, to position, why do we need to be compliant with a particular topic? What is the topic? Why do we need to be compliant? What is the value that it brings by being compliant? What is the, the risk of it brings if we're not compliant? And then making it straightforward and simple and easy for people to attain and encouraging people to do it and making them feel that they've done something that's valuable and good for the organization and for themselves by completing it is how I think it should be positioned. And using words like this could lead to disciplinary action if you don't do it, for example, is quite threatening to employees. Employees do need to understand that compliance is necessary for good reason. But as I say, it has to be positioned in the right way. So it all goes back to how it's done and the communication behind it. I think there are three key words in there, education, communication, and easy. The old saying of easy always wins So is so true here, isn't it? 
Jane, I've really enjoyed this conversation and this chat. Thank you very much for spending the time. Hugely insightful. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we close? Yeah, thank you, Steve. I, you know, I'd just like, like to finish by saying that I think that we've achieved a lot as a company in Baz, where we've developed our culture over the last years is definitely in the right direction. Are we perfect? No. Do we still have a journey to go on? Absolutely. But I think that we've got a clear sort of vision and framework on how to get there. So I think that's part of the, the building blocks for the future. Thanks for listening to Risky Business. For more insights and resources, check out the show notes or go to ganintegrity.com and be sure to follow along wherever you get your audio.